Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about sunflowers. No, not the weed, the crop. Uh, sunflowers and then late season scouting and all the things that would go along with that. We'll get into a few things on corn and soybeans today as well. And as always, we're happy to answer your phone call and talk to you about anything that's happening on your farm or answer your questions. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. It's 844-442-4743. You can also email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So, Darren, one of the things that has come up a lot here in just the last couple of weeks has been all the leaf cupping, and we've talked pretty extensively on the show about dicamba, drift, volatility, and, you know, if it's just light cupping, it's nothing much to worry about. But I had an agronomist yesterday that was asking me some more questions, and he goes, well, can a group 15 cause it? I said a group 15 will cause leaf cupping, not can it cause it, it's it will cause it. And there is a tremendous amount of group 15 stuff getting used. So what, what I mean by group 15 is it's the group 15 herbicide family. And that would include products like Outlook, Zidua, Warrant, Dual, anything along those lines. And a lot of people have been using those products in soybeans early post-emerge in order to extend the residual control for a herbicide, but also to... Uh, just get residual out there if they were unable to get a pre-emerge herbicide on. So anyway, uh, Darren, do you want to get to the Ag PhD mailbag about right away in the show, or do sure. you have anything else sure. to no, let's, get, let's dive right get in. started with? Uh, okay, well, I, I don't, don't think we can quite yet, because I think we're going to jump in into the phone line here in just one second. Uh, but before we do, I, I guess I'll just say again, if you've got a question for us, just call us here, 844 844- 44 ag phd that's what tony did tony how you doing today another nice day in minnesota uh yeah it's uh it's nice here in south dakota other than the fact that we got some rain and some strong winds on a little bit of corn uh so we've got some corn leaned over a little bit today but it'll it'll straighten out here i i feel pretty good so anyway i hear you're spraying some roundup on tall corn well, you know, I've been out spraying some fungicide and stuff, but then I found some uh, grass along some field edges. Yep. And the corn's probably 30-plus inches tall. I don't have to drive through the corn. can stick the boom over the corn. Just to, Do you touch it up or do you let it go? Uh, what did you say was out there for weeds? Uh, grasses. Just grass. Yeah, foxtail for the most part. Sure. Okay. Uh so, I mean, honestly, I don't have a real big problem with spraying Roundup in corn to kill grass. It's quite effective and it's very inexpensive. The biggest problem is when that corn is tall. So, and it's going to tell you right on the label, you're good to go for quite a while. But the, the challenge is when you start getting those plants over about 24 inches tall, they really want you to use drop nozzles. So, right. I, I, you know, our, our fear, and we were just talking about this a little bit on the show yesterday, our fear is that so much is going to get into the whirl of the plant that you're going to turn the corn plants yellow a little bit, that yellow flash. So um, I, I would just say, number one, I can't recommend anything to you that's off-label. <laughs> uh, number two, if you're doing stuff that is, let's call it, 
pushing it in terms of rate or timing on any Roundup Ready crop to mix some MegaGrow along with the, the glyphosate, that's going to safen it. That's a patented safener. costs about 4 bucks. So if I was going to do it, I'd throw that in. As well? well, you can. I mean, are your tissue tests showing low on manganese? Your soil tests showing we're, low we're, on manganese? We're, we're, we're in the medium range. Yeah. So you certainly can. It's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to make it worse. I, I, and okay. I'm going to assume this is where your question is coming from. There have been people in the past who've talked about, oh, Roundup ties up manganese in the plant. We've never been able to prove that. We've even done ridiculously high rates of Roundup, still shown no negative impact specifically on manganese. So I, we aren't worried about manganese. I mean, other than obviously if your soil doesn't have enough and your plant doesn't have enough already, then yes, do something to address it. So, but yield-wise, it probably won't make a difference, just on a little bit on some edges. Yeah, but, so uh, in, in terms of that grass that's out there, yes, in terms of that grass yeah. that's out there right now, and in your big corn, that's not going to make one bit of difference in terms of yield this year. Now, in the future, if that stuff goes to seed, now that's when you may have a problem. We've done the same thing before, Tony, and we've let that grass go, and it's fine. I mean, the yield's going to be fine, but what can happen is if it ends up going to seed, well, now you just have that much more grass. you got to fight for probably five years. Right, right. <laughs> so, yep. there's the question. Yep. And that's something that I can't make that decision for you. That's what you've got to decide. But, yeah, I, I mean, technically, <laughs> you, you are supposed to go in there with drop nozzles if you want to spray glyphosate at that point. Okay. Can I ask a fungicide question as you well? You sure can. If you were spraying Veltima yep. and possibly some micros, would okay. you add Nutex? What, I, okay, so the Veltima thing is, is separate. With fungicide only, especially at this time of year, we're going to say no adjuvants with it. Um, Nutex is not an adjuvant, but no adjuvants with it. So that's by itself. Now, if we're going to talk about any foliar fertilizer, that's where we like Nutex going along with it. We've seen a little bit better uptake with the foliar fertilizer because of the Nutex. So if you want to do that, Fine. If I'm gonna, so if I want to run all by itself, Veltima, I, I'm perfectly fine with that. If I want to add foliar fertilizer, I'm going to add Nutex along with the foliar fertilizer. Darren, do you have another comment on that? No. You know, with with corn, we just want to be real careful when we're out there pre-tassel. We don't want to get into any trouble there. So I agree. We don't want to push stuff in too terrible fast. And really, honestly, uh, with the the fungicide application there's a lot of things that i would say are great to mix together at this point i'd say just spray the fungicide that that'd be what i would do and do the micros on a whole different pass oh i'd do them together we are doing them together <laughs> in our farm too so. late i already did them together <laughs> yep all right we'll find out then tony perfect <laughs> all right hey, three, the... three different guys three different opinions you might get that sometimes <laughs> on ag phd radio stay tuned we'll be right back With resistance on the rise, fighting disease in corn and soybeans takes a heavy-duty fungicide with super strength. Solera FX from UPL combines two powerful fungicides at full rates for maximum performance and yield. Solera FX delivers more robust disease control with both curative and preventative activity. And Solera FX is now registered for use in wheat. Ask your UPL representative or retailer about Solera FX, a super fungicide whose time has come. Always read and follow label directions. More choices, more money. 
With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the Enzone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we're talking about, yeah, you don't really know, do you? If you're listening to that first segment, we got into corn a little bit. We talked about a few other things going on. We're actually going to be talking about sunflowers on today's show. So if you say, wait a second, I don't have sunflowers. Well, you're missing out. Sunflowers are kind of a fun crop to be around, and and as you're going to hear today, there's some pretty cool people that are raising them too. But one of the things that we often find with sunflowers, a lot of the same options for weed control and other things that we're doing in sunflowers apply to other broadleaf crops. So you may pick something up here, even when you're not trying to, just by learning a little more about sunflowers today. We've got Jeff with us right now up in North Dakota. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Did you guys catch a little rain out of this? I saw there's a little system moving through up there. Uh, yeah, since uh, Sunday afternoon, we've had about two and a half to three inches of rain. So uh, we we got water sitting everywhere now, but uh, not going to complain on getting a little shot of rain. No, when you're a dry land farmer, you'll take what you get, and and hopefully it uh, it sticks around for when it gets dry and hot, which you know it will. Uh, so talk to us just a little bit about sunflowers. A lot of growers will say, well, sunflowers can handle that drought pretty good with that kind of root system it's got. Yeah, they can. Um, we've been growing sunflowers on our operation since the late 70s, early 80s. Um, we've had very good luck with them. Actually, we've had good luck following the year because it's a little bit drier. We can usually get started a little bit earlier in the year starting the seed too. So uh, it does help on when you have the excess wet years to actually dry the ground out a little bit. So it's you have better seeding conditions the next year. You know, one of the things that I've noticed as I've traveled around with a number of sunflower growers is it's kind of like corn or cotton or any crop in that there are some guys that have got it figured out a little more than others. With sunflowers, what are some of those management things that you see that the high producers using? Um, we've been trying to, we've been following a lot of our sunflowers onto corn residue because sometimes we have our residual N. And we found that uh, we've been able to tap into that residual end that is left over from a corn crop. And the sunflowers is about one of the few crops that we grow up here that will actually tap into that nutrients that are that low, that deep into the soil. 
so we've been doing that and uh last couple of years we've been trying to pretty much go into no-till conditions because we've been a little bit drier and so we're trying to keep as much residue as we can early in the year on those uh, fields we're going to seed sunflowers to. You know, I hear a lot of growers talk uh, about sunflowers being able to find those nutrients that are out in the soil. They're one of the, the really good scavenger crops. They also do respond to fertility as guys are, are feeding them as well. The other thing that I see a response to is insecticide and fungicide if done timely. Are there some bugs and diseases that you're concerned about in your part of North Dakota? Uh, we're usually more worried about, um, like, uh, the seed weevils and stuff in our heads or, you know, right around, uh, just right about when the buds, I guess, and stuff starting the heads are just starting to open up. We'll keep an eye on them and stuff. We haven't, excuse me, we haven't done a lot of fungicide work because with us being as far north as we are, we don't like to extend that plant too long because uh, we don't want to have the, we don't want to have the crop freeze off and sometimes be immature. Uh, so we try not to do fungicide unless we've had years where we've had rust then we will go and do a fungicide application. But yeah. we mainly deal with more of the bugs. Yeah, for those of you who are listening to the show today, Jeff Farms just about up to the Canadian border in uh, the northern part of North Dakota. So you can see why he might be a little bit nervous. There might be some frost and snow coming that he wants to make sure his flowers make it on time. Uh, Jeff, what kind of year does it look like this year? Are flower acres up? Um, In our area, I'd say flowers acres are up. Um we actually, because of the late spring we had, we actually transitioned some of our corn acres into some more bean and more sunflower acres. Uh, and that's happened to a few other guys. They ended up, you know, getting cut on corn acres because we just got too late in the year to get it uh, planted. So we, you know, wanted to keep a row crop in. So we did that. And I think a few other growers in the area did the same thing. Yeah, pretty versatile crop with sunflowers, and uh, it's really interesting just to hear how it's done in different parts of the country. We're talking with Jeff, who farms up just a little south of the Canadian border in North Dakota. Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's head down to the opposite end of the country. Let's talk to Wayne down in Texas. Wayne, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. All right, so you hear Jeff talk about we don't want to extend that plant too much longer because we don't have that long a season. you got a little opposite situation in Texas. Uh, talk to us about raising sunflowers down there. Sometimes we'd like to extend the season, but it's not up to us. But uh, I think sunflowers is the one thing that, that hasn't or won't disappoint this year. Everything has kind of been a mixed bag. We've been pretty dry, but uh, flowers look good. You know, when you look at, at sunflowers in your part of Texas, certainly you've got some disease issues that can pop up. Uh, are there certain diseases that you see? Is there Are there timings that you like to protect those plants from disease? Yeah, I spoke with y'all about a year ago because we had some powdery flare-up uh, from, from a Friday to a Monday. It just devastated us. So the, And rust has been an issue in the past as well, but... This year, when we made a herbicide application and threw some fungicide in there, and then when we made a another or when we made a head moth uh, application, I threw some fungicide in there as well. I expected issues with as wet as May was, but uh, I have not seen any to speak of this year. Now, Jeff was talking about putting sunflowers in after a corn rotation. That had worked good for them. Is there a certain time you like to put flowers in in your rotation? 
we are primarily milo and corn as well as sunflowers so it uh we will have some cotton also but it just it works really well as our broadleaf rotation with the with the grain crops yeah, the, the fertility aspect. Jeff was noting there may be some carryover in, and like you talk about milo and, and corn, certainly there's going to be some nitrogen applications out there you may be able to take advantage of. How about from an insect standpoint? You mentioned uh, an insecticide spray. In your area, uh, are there certain bugs that like sunflowers, or are there a lot of different bugs that like sunflowers? We, we are usually pretty fortunate. The only thing we really have to watch is, is head moths, and depending on whether it's Prevathon or Besiege, you know, and the number of applications that we do, we're mainly concerned with, with head moths. Okay. Yeah, definitely definitely a major insect to, to be concerned about with sunflowers and one you don't want to get started in your in your fields. And so, Jeff, you mentioned the flowers look good uh, and they've got the most potential of the other crops this year. Is it just market conditions or were growing conditions not conducive to the other crops you're raising? It was growing conditions. We were really dry uh, probably the last eight months, and it just kind of depended where we could get them in with moisture, and then we caught some rain, and they've, it was pro- the rain was more timely for the flowers than anything else we've had this year. Now, your sunflowers, are, they, are your crops dry land, or do you have some irrigation on the farm too? We have some of both, but all our flowers this year are dry land. Okay. Okay, yeah, it's it's uh, interesting just to hear how it's gone. In Texas, has been such a swing the last couple of years. It's either way too wet or way too dry, it seems, and and here you go. You, you end up with uh, variable conditions again this season. Uh, Wayne, thank you so much. Really appreciate the chance to talk to you a little bit about, about sunflowers and what's going on in your farm. Good luck here the rest of the season. Thank you. You know, when when uh, we're talking to these guys, Brian, I think about dry conditions. And one thing I like about sunflowers, they're a pretty tough plant, and they can handle some of those tough conditions. Yeah, yeah, they can. Uh, but, you know, we talk about this all the time. If you want to have any crop more drought tolerant, balancing the nutrients out there is very, very important. Hey, one thing I wanted to talk about, too, Jeff had mentioned uh, just a little earlier about extending the maturity, extending the life of that crop with a fungicide. You know, we run into this in soybeans, too. I was just talking to a company yesterday about this with green stems. People don't like green stems. They don't like that in the fall. So I just said, that that's pretty easy. We just have to skip the strobe. Don't have a headline or a quadrus or an avito or those active ingredients in there. So in... Um, in sunflowers, for example, you can spend only $2 on a generic folicure. I mean, tebiconazole is 2 bucks. That's it. And then that's a triazole. It's not going to extend that life. So just skip the strobe. Um, one other thing that I would mention for a fungicide, white mold is terrible a lot of times in sunflowers. Endura is, is there. It's 30 bucks an acre roughly. But that is available, and that's an SDHI, also not a strobe. Talking about sunflowers on today's show and taking your calls and questions as well. Stay tuned. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. 
Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Thanks for joining us. We're talking about sunflowers and late season scouting. We've been talking a little about fungicides and disease and getting into that. And we've got a great resource now on with us, Sam Markell up at North Dakota State University. Sam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. We've had some interesting conditions up in North Dakota, to say the least, the last couple of years. And a lot of areas have had a ton of rainfall again this year. Man, just this last storm that went through, I can't believe the amounts of rain that some areas were getting, which makes me really, really nervous for disease and sunflowers. Just kind of curious what what you're recommending for growers and what you're seeing out there already. Yeah, so sunflower, the growth stages are all over the board, right? So we, you know, we've been planning for a while. And so we got some just coming out of the ground. We've got some over a foot tall. Yeah, the first thing we're going to see is downy mildew. And when you get a lot of rain on a crop, especially after you plant it, sometimes you get that that stunting, that chlorosis. You see that pop up out of the ground about two weeks after emergence. Um, not much you can do about it, but that's the first thing you see. 
But as we go through the season, it gets a little more interesting. And probably the most important one to start scouting for, not yet, but you know, later in the season, is going to be rust. We, we can take some pretty serious yield hits with rust when it shows up, and we can manage it with fungicides. So really, scouting is the key to managing it. If you can scout it and find it, you can deal with it. You know, one of the things that Brian was talking about here just a little bit ago is, man, there, there just aren't enough products that are labeled for sunflowers. Do you find that to be a challenge? Are you finding plenty of good options for growers to use? So we have good options, but we've kind of got the minimum of the good options, right? You know, you, he's absolutely right. You compare sunflowers to some other crops, some of the more major crops, yeah, we've got a fraction of the chemistry. I guess the good news is that we've got multiple modes of action, and that, that tends to be the key. And uh, rust can be managed with several of them. So, so that's helpful. So we have some tools for rust. Um, where we get a little short is we don't have a lot of great products for some of the harder to catch diseases. You know, Fomopsis stem canker, for example, is a problem. And we've got some products that work but it's not, it's not a cure-all, no silver bullet out there at all. And we've evaluated other products, and I, there might be some better out there eventually, but um, right now it's a, it's a little bit tighter there. All right, so you mentioned a few diseases already that growers may be seeing in fields or, or could potentially experience later this season. Do you get a lot of growers across North Dakota that say, man, something's wrong with my plant, they don't know what it is, do they send plants into you or have you come out and look? Yeah, we do. We do. And maybe especially with sunflowers, you know, so we've got some acreage of sunflowers pretty much from Kansas to the Dakotas and the Dakotas have the majority, but even the Dakotas, I mean, we might only have six, 700,000 acres compare that to millions of corn and soybeans. So there's a, there's fewer resources out there for sunflower. And so, yeah, we, we see samples come in quite a lot and it's great. And, you know, we're, we, you've got county agents in North Dakota and you've certainly got uh, extension and crop consultants, you know, seed advisors, and, and a lot of them have pretty good resources. So we, we do see a disproportionate amount of sunflower samples come in. All right. And, and so, that's good, you it, know, I, so Sam, if you had a sample and you thought, man, this looks a little like Phomopsis stem canker to me, but I'm not sure. What's the best way to do that? How do you, how do you like them to come in? Cause you're, you're in a big state and uh, you're not exactly in the center of the state either. So if I'm in Western North Dakota, uh, we were talking with Jeff up North of Minot earlier on the show. That's a long haul to bring stuff into Fargo. I'm assuming you get quite a bit of stuff via mail. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that we have that's pretty nice in our state is you know, we've got a county office in every state and you know, they've got a direct line to me. I mean, they can mail it right from the office, you okay. know, pictures and diagnostics. That, that's often the easiest way to do it. Um, you know, like any, like anything else too, you know, when you, when you're thinking about sending a sample in, try to send one that's disease, not dead, right? You know, you got to make sure that there's enough for us to work with. You know, obviously I don't, I don't bring a sick dog to the vet and say, what's wrong with this dog, right? So it's kind of that sweet spot where you start to see the disease develop, throw it in a bag, mail it, overnight it, bring it to the county office. We'll, we'll, we'll help you out. Now, when he talked about rust a little bit earlier, and I, I think about like in wheat, we see stripe rust often blowing up from the south. Do you have some of those same indicators in sunflowers that you see things coming up uh, through Kansas or South Dakota where, where that triggers an alert going out to North Dakota growers? Yeah, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, you're absolutely right. With the cereal rust, we've got those great early warning systems, you know, the, the state to the south of us, for example. 
But with sunflowers, it's a little different. So this particular rust is very specific to sunflower and it overwinters where we're at. So, but there is an indicator. And so when you see these little reproductive structures that are orange, they don't look like rust on the lower leaves, we know we're gonna have rust. And I was talking to a colleague of mine in Nebraska last week and sunflower rust has overwintered very well in Nebraska. So I'm expecting Nebraska to have some sunflower rust show up very soon. And usually if we see it overwinter in Nebraska, it overwinters in South Dakota and North Dakota. So I think, I think this year could be a rusty year. Oh, we appreciate the heads up on that. And I, I know we were talking with Wayne a little bit earlier, and he said he's been adding a fungicide in on his herbicide pass and now also on an insecticide pass just to try to hold these things off as long as he can and protect that crop the best he can. But uh, like you mentioned, with growth stages all over the board, with guys just getting sunflowers popping up and then some that have some decent size to them, gets to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, when it comes to scouting, we, we wanted to focus on that on our show today too, just in encouraging growers to be out there throughout the season scouting and looking for things. When it comes to uh, uh, some of these diseases, like you mentioned with rust, there may be some little indicators that you can find ahead of time. I know with sclerotinia white mold, we, we see some of those mushrooms out there as well, which this year as wet as some of the areas have been, I'm kind of concerned about that one too. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, North Dakota's had a kind of a wicked weather pattern where we were dry for a while, and now we're wet, you know, six inches of rain in a lot of the states, crazy amounts. Um, with rust, my recommendation, I guess, would be to get out there any time uh, in the vegetative stage. Just take a look if you see any rust on the lower leaves. But where the rubber really meets the road is when you start to bloom. So when you're in that budding stage and you start to throw those flowers out, you know, you're starting to form that head, if you have rust on the upper leaves, you really need to think about pulling the trigger. You know, rust will initially show up usually on the lower leaves because it overwinters, you know, it's, it's really good in this climate and it'll appear to climb through the canopy. And where you really see the yield reduction is when it gets to the upper leaves by the time it blooms. That, that's when we really get nervous about rust. Been talking with Sam Markell here with North Dakota State University. Sam, great stuff today. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, likewise. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, Brian, Sam brought up a number of diseases, and it does get scary when you've got diseases that overwinter. We try to have crop rotation going, and, and obviously with sunflowers, many growers are putting a couple of crops in between the, before they have flowers again. But like Jeff was saying earlier, sometimes the rotations get messed up a little bit due to weather and, and other factors out there that, that put you at more risk. Yeah, and the other problem is, especially after these last couple of years that have been wet, a lot of guys that raise sunflowers don't have tile in the ground. That's extremely concerning for us because typically poorly drained soils means a lot more disease. And poor poor breakdown of residue, too. Yep. Some of these things overwinter in residue, all of a sudden when you would normally expect you're going to have some yep. breakdown in a clean field, there's residue from two or three crops that go out yep, there. Yep, exactly. And the, the other big problem we talk about all the time with fungicides is you have to spray before you see any disease. By the time you see disease, you've already lost yield, and it's too late. 
I mean, you can still stop some stuff. I shouldn't really say it's completely too late. It, it might not be the end of the world, but you're certainly not going to get as much out of that fungicide as you would have had you sprayed preemptively. So we would just really encourage you, spray fungicide if you're concerned about disease. Be scouting for insects. You don't have to spray for insects if you don't see them, and we would encourage you not to spray for insects if you don't see them. But if you do see them, then especially when you're out there spraying fungicide or something else, hit it. I mean, insecticide is really inexpensive. And yes, there are some more expensive insecticides that can be used in sunflowers, but there are some cheap ones too that are pretty good. I'm pretty happy too, Brian. We talked to two people in North Dakota and neither one of them mentioned anything about kochia. So that was good. I, I was waiting for, man, we're doing pretty good up here, but we just want to know how to kill kochia in sunflowers post-emerge. Yeah, Don't have a great option it. for you on that nope. one. Uh, lots of challenges raising sunflowers, but it's also a fantastic crop. And as you heard, uh, a lot of growers excited about their chances to make money with that crop. We'll dig into some of our questions that have been coming in as well right after this. Oh, my goodness. Did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm, like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo. And it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. 
That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E dot com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly. Partnering with microbes for human benefit. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're taking your calls and questions here throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. And that's exactly what Steve did from Illinois. He said, guys, I'm shooting for 300 bushel corn, and I'm wondering about levels of micronutrients that I need to see in my soil tests. It's been a, I've been in a no-till rotation with soybeans for 12 years. My current levels, as of this spring, on five-acre grids, average around 7.2 pounds per acre of sulfur, 52 or 53 part per million of manganese, 122 parts per million of iron, uh, 1.9 parts per million of zinc, and one part per million of copper. I believe I should double that copper and I'm going to start working on that. Okay, what do you guys see with copper, and what do you see with the other nutrients? Here's, here's the problem. No-till. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm opposed to no-till, but I'm simply saying, how are you going to get immobile nutrients down into the soil evenly across everything? So uh, I'll, I'll, let me just throw this out. I'll first give you the levels that... I am shooting for an R farm with 300 bushel corn, and then you can do what you want with it. Uh, let me take a look again at what he specifically asked for. So sulfur, I would like 100 parts per million. That's 200 pounds. You got seven. Um, you need a lot more, a ridiculous amount more. Now, the thing with sulfur, that can move through the soil, just like boron can move through the soil. So boron, for example, I want to, in our heavy soils, get up to five parts per million. Um, you know, we got a lot of stuff that started less than one. Well, you're just not going to get enough into the plant then, but I will say this. Can I raise 300 bushel corn and have low levels across the board on things? I can, but then I've really got to be feeding it properly somehow, some way. So anyway, if all you're asking is what would you, what would the ideal soil be to raise 300 bushel corn, that's what I'm trying to give you here. So just, again, you got to... You don't have to be at these levels, but if you're not, then you're really going to have to feed that plant. Okay, so anyway, I just say heavy soils. Yeah, I'd like to be up 100 parts per million, at least 50 parts per million on sulfur. Uh, boron, I'd like to be 5 and at least 3 parts per million. Um, okay, then we've got, let's see, he said manganese. He said 52 parts per million. I'm fine with that. Iron, 122 parts per million. I'm fine with that. Zinc, you're at 2. And now this really depends on where your phosphorus is at. Phosphorus and zinc really play together, and we can see that on our yields where we overdo it on one or the other and don't have the other one in relation, our yield goes down. So, for example, on our farm where I'm going for big-time yield, 100 parts per million on either the Olson test or the P1 Bray test. If I'm at that, then I want to be somewhere around 10 parts per million on zinc. So I don't know where you're at on phosphorus, so I can't really answer the zinc question. Copper, uh, oh, but anyway, I'm looking for around a 10 to 1 ratio, something like that. 8 to 1, 10 to 1, somewhere around there, uh, phosphorus to zinc. And then copper, 1 part per million, yeah, we're shooting for 3 parts per million. But again, I'll just bring up to you, okay, copper, zinc, they're not moving in soil, especially zinc. 
So how are you going to do that? How are you going to do phosphorus? How are you going to do potassium? If you have heavy soil, it, it just, in no-till, it's tough. It's tough. And so if it was me, I, I mean, I might do tillage for one year, and then I go back to no-till for, let's see, what do you say, 12 years? I might do that. Then I mix everything around. I get my soil built up. Otherwise, you're talking about banding. Well, if you're going to band, you can't put on big rates. you got to go a little bit band. You're going to do some foliar feeding. You're going to do some side dress. And it's it's just it, it's going to take a little work. So lots of things to consider there. If you said, hey, I'm in, I do conventional till once every, you know, two to four years, whatever, it's a piece of cake to build up the whole soil. It's not with no-till because some of these nutrients simply don't move down into the soil. Thanks for the question, Steve. Appreciate that. Uh, Got another question in with nutrients here, Brian. This one's from Andy up in Ontario. He said, I'm new to plant tissue testing, but thanks to you guys, I'm, I'm getting involved in that. And I've got a couple questions now, wondering how reactive I should be. I've got a couple of cornfields that are testing low in zinc that are running around 19 to 20 parts per million in the plant. When I pull up the nutrient removal for 250 bushel corn, it shows that I need about two-thirds of a pound of zinc. Well, I've got three pounds of zinc on with my two-by-two starter. So I'm wondering, I'm at V8 to V9 Wait, corn. whoa, 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 is it, stop. Three, how much, how much he zinc? Says, he says he has three pounds of zinc out there. No way. Now, it could be three pounds of product, not three pounds of right. actual zinc. I, well, I, sure. I shouldn't say no way. Maybe he did that. That was a lot. Okay, okay, go ahead. He may have. Go ahead. So he said, I'm just wondering, shouldn't I have reached some of that zinc by now at V8, V9? Yep. I've got a couple tissue samples I've pulled already. I've got a third that I'm pulling <laughs> soon. So we'll see if okay. I, if it pops in there. I'm just wondering if I can put any on. Here's my two fields. One has a 14 cation exchange capacity. The other has a 26. They're both in the mid-7s for pH. Just wondering what type of zinc you would put out. Well, first well, of all, I can answer that part. I'd use a zinc sulfate if you're going to do that. That's that's been wait for for what are we doing for a foliar feeding zinc in corn? You're going to foliar feed a zinc sulfate. Okay, I would foliar feed a zinc chelate, but um, I, I would I would do a liquid and I do a a zinc chelate. That's what I would do. But so I want to come back to this. Why are his tissue tests not higher when he put on all that zinc? remember my reaction to the zinc? I go, whoa, there's no way he's putting three pounds on. I'm going to assume you burned off a bunch of roots. You can only, it's just like the very last question we were talking about with the guy in no-till, you can only put so much on in a band, otherwise you start burning stuff up. That's why we like strip-till, we like doing two-by-two maybe on both sides of the row, tiny little bit in furrow. If you're going to do a whole band program, so you want to stay no-till, strip-till, it's hard. It's hard to get enough nutrients on if your soil isn't already built up enough. That's the big challenge that we're dealing with here. I mean, sure, it's easy if you only want to raise 150 bushel corn, but once you start shooting for 300, now we're into a different ballgame. And I'm assuming you burned off roots. So you could go look at some of your, your roots and take a look at, hey, did I burn off right where my 2x2 two two was? I mean, yeah, eventually more roots will grow there. Eventually things will dilute themselves, but zinc just doesn't move. It's stuck there. That's the problem with zinc, unlike sulfur, boron, nitrogen, and a few other nutrients. All right. Thanks for the question, Andy. Really appreciate that. Uh, I got a little feedback from Alan here. He said, he heard your talk on soil pH. Just want to let you know it was very informative, delivered in a clear and concise manner. 
Cheers to you guys. Hey, thanks, Alan. I really appreciate that. That's high pH soils are one of those things that a lot of people say, oh, you can't do much about it, but uh, it's kind of kind of good to just attack it. And in terms of, all right, what can we do? And yeah, we may not change it overnight, but but let's start making the right steps to make that ground productive. Got one here from Brendan in Nebraska. He said, I'm looking for a good source of calcium that I can use on corn this year. Preferably, we'd run it through the pivot or do it somehow foliar. Is there a calcium source that could get into the plant and give us a response? Yeah. Yeah, there are plenty of, uh, plenty of companies that make calcium products that you could certainly use. No problem at all. Uh, we've been using Liberate Calcium from AgriLiquid, for example, but there are lots of companies out there. Just talk to your fertilizer suppliers in your area and see what they have that might fit for you. But yes, lots of options. All right, to get a question here from Barry up in North Dakota. He said, I'm about 350 miles straight north of you guys in the heart of the Red River Valley in North Dakota. Nobody here seems to do no-till or strip-till in the area. I'm just wondering why. Cold soils, pretty simple. Uh, when you till the ground, you warm the soil up, and that's really the number one concern up in that area. I, I, I would also say with the, uh, as you go north, because those soils are cold, it's nice to break the residue down a little faster uh, with tillage. It's nice to get the nutrients stirred in because they don't get as much rain. They don't have the heat, and the nutrients are going to sit on top of the soil for a long time. So it's, it's concerning. No-till and strip-till can work in North Dakota with certain crops, with certain planting dates. But if you're trying to raise corn and soybeans like a lot of people are, it doesn't fit very well. All right, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. With resistance on the rise, fighting disease in corn and soybeans takes a heavy-duty fungicide with super strength. Solera FX from UPL combines two powerful fungicides at full rates for maximum performance and yield. Solera FX delivers more robust disease control with both curative and preventative activity. And Solera FX is now registered for use in wheat. Ask your UPL representative or retailer about Solera FX, a super fungicide whose time has come. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide. 
brand new chemistry, three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Let's head back to the phone lines here. We've got Dell on with us now in Michigan. Dell, thanks for hanging on there. You're welcome, Bob. A couple of years ago, myself and my next-door neighbor, we were going to grow some sunflowers. And uh, it wasn't very big fields either of them, but we thought we had a plan. But what we didn't know about was the squirrels and then the blackbirds. Well, the blackbirds, I, I was expecting, Dell. The squirrels, that's a new one to me, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think every squirrel in the county come and tried to, uh, for sure, the blackbirds. So th- that's my question. Uh, because he almost went to jail because he had the shotgun out there. And, and, and DNR said you cannot shoot the birds. You can't. So is this way it is where you're at and what do you do thank you love your show you bet thanks Dell. well Dell, this is cowboy country out here and i'm pretty sure we can do about whatever we want to do <laughs> so I, well i know this there there are there are definitely people that that have uh, guns that fire or something like a gun that fires that just scares them off with noise and that kind of thing but yeah the the birds is something that not many have figured out other than you don't plant sunflowers and there's a water source nearby because if they've got trees, a place to, to live, they've got water, and then they've got a sunflower field, they're not leaving. They're, they're going to stay there. And I, I, The squirrel thing, though, man, to get a whole bunch of squirrels out there in South Dakota, we've got a lot of areas without a whole lot of trees and, and great big fields and so forth. We get away from a lot of the squirrel issues that you probably have to fight with more trees in Michigan. But, yeah, there are repellents that, that – can get used to spray over the top of sunflowers. But like Darren said, a lot of times staying away from water, one of the things is staying away from cattails. If your fields are away from anywhere where there are cattails, it seems like there are fewer problems. But yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest challenges for sunflower growers is those darn birds. Anything else you want to know there, Dell? Oh, man, I love your show. Just love just talking about sunflowers thank you <laughs> you, bet. you bet thanks, thanks a lot Del. Del. all right brian um yeah there are there are some challenges with each crop and and the blackbirds are definitely one with sunflowers got this one from andre he said I'm, I'm wondering where to look for results on the difference between broadcast applying fertilizer and banding it when planting maize or corn or sunflowers 
Uh, that's a good question. I, I mean, there are universities that have done work like that, but you know, we can talk specifically about some of those things. We've mentioned a little bit already here during the show, but I, I'll tell you in research that we've done on our own farm, it, when you start talking the non-mobile nutrients like phosphorus in the soil, we talked about zinc just a little bit ago, potassium is somewhat non-mobile all depends on your soil and your rainfall for us it's pretty immobile simply because we don't have a lot of rain normally and we have very heavy soil so potassium is pretty much stuck in place too but anyway with those types of nutrients then we see more gain by going to banding you get quicker uptake is a better way to say that with nitrogen, sulfur, boron, the nutrients that leach through the soil, they'll move, they'll move with soil water, and they eventually a lot of times get to the roots. They can move to the roots. Whereas roots have to go find the phosphorus, potassium, zinc, copper, the, the ones that are pretty immobile. So what we found is you can get by with about two-thirds of a rate, and, and this has been backed up by universities over the years too and, and soil testing labs, but you can use about two-thirds of a rate when banding P, K, zinc, some of the immobile nutrients on a short-term basis, okay? Not necessarily in the long term. Eventually, if you did that every year for 30 years, well, eventually it's going to start working its way out, okay? So eventually the broadcast guy who puts on more fertilizer is it, some of that's going to be coming back. The roots are going to find it. I, eventually, it'll it'll even itself out. But in the short term, especially if you're renting ground, we encourage guys to go out there banding their P and their K and the, these immobile nutrients so they don't leave as much behind for the next person. Now, when you hear that, you might say, oh, we're taking advantage of the ground or leaving the ground in bad shape. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying put out as much fertilizer as you think the crop's going to use, but put it in the right place so hopefully you can pull it up. Now you have to be careful about the form you use, about where exactly you put those nutrients, because like we were talking earlier in the show, if you put them in too much in the wrong spot, you can burn roots off. Well, <laughs> then you spent money on fertilizer and now it actually could hurt your yield. That's not good. So we're constantly trying to figure out, okay, what is the best way to do this? How do we do it as our yield goals get higher and we need more fertilizer out there to feed the crop? All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Got one from Matt. He said, you were talking about using Endura, Proline, Acropolis, and, and such fungicides yep. for white mold protection. Yep. I'm yep. wondering, we are at R1. Would you still recommend using Cobra at this stage? Well, we're doing some on our farm. I don't like it. it you're, you're, In my opinion, you're a little late. Now, if you get rain right afterwards, you're probably fine. But, Darren, this is one of the things I was just thinking about. I don't think our guys got the last of the Cobra sprayed where we have bad white mold. I don't know that I want to do it anymore. I mean, we've been at R1 for you definitely take a risk of burning weeks. off some of those flowers that are yep. out there. And if that plant drops the flowers... Well, you lose some of that potential, but you know what? Hey, we're really early in the game, and plants can absolutely add more flowers on it. Sometimes you need the cobra for weed control, and if you're in that stage, yeah, you got to kill the weeds. At this point, there's a lot of growing season left, and it's going to be a mess and possibly even a harvest problem if you don't get weeds under control. Yep, but honestly, if I'm at a full R1, just about to R2, I'm probably stopping using cobra, and I'm switching over, and I'm going to use a fungicide that's easier on the crop, yet is going to get the disease. So the reason why we like the Cobra is it's cheap. I mean, we're farmers. We're trying to make money. And I'd way rather spend $5 on Cobra than $30 on Endura. 
All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, Got one from Jesse. He said, I noticed uh, an ad for a biological product to help break down crop residue. Organic gardeners have been using some kind of bacteria to enhance their composting. I was wondering if this is similar to that and just something to be used on a broader scale. And I'm also wondering- Wait, similar what, to what? Uh, what the organic guys have been using, some kind of bacteria to enhance- I don't know what the organic com- guys have been using, so but I'm, there are I'm also wondering why there. we're hearing more about composting now in recent months. Okay, well, first of all, yes, there are some products out there that can help break down residue, help turn things into compost faster. One that we've been doing a lot of work with and research on the last three years has been decomp, and that has worked out pretty well. Basically, you can spray it over manure, and it helps compost faster without having to turn the pile. Also, you can spray it over fields where you have lots of residue, and it helps break that residue down faster. It's a lot of beneficial microbes, I think 70 different beneficial microbes. But anyway, why are we hearing more about composting? You're going to continue hearing more about it in the future, because if I think about even when Darren and I were kids growing up on the farm, everybody was uh, everybody in our community, it seemed like, was a farmer, and this, the farm size was much smaller. Well, today, almost everybody is not a farmer. Farm size is much bigger, and everything's getting more concentrated. Everybody used to have livestock. Well, now very few farmers have livestock. It's more and more concentrated. Well, th- when things are more concentrated, then all these environmental issues get to be a big deal. So there are rules and regulations in different areas in terms of how much manure can be stored for how long in certain places, all that kind of thing. Whereas if it gets composted, now it's much more environmentally friendly. Now you have a lot less concern about runoff, about application, about smell. So composting is the way things are going to go in the future on a tremendous percentage of livestock waste. And Oh, and when I say waste for livestock, it is for them, but it is benefit for the farmer, for all of Fantastic us who raise crops. Fertility, yes. All right. All right. Thanks for the question. I really appreciate that, Jesse. Uh, this one comes from Kelly. We're facing a bit of a drought here in northern Ohio. No rain in the forecast, 90 degree temps every day. Our early sweet corn is just tasseling and we've got some younger plantings. I'm wondering, is there anything we can do at this point in the season to help corn plants drive their root system deeper? Would extra urea help? Is there anything that that would help us avoid this drought? Well, that wouldn't help the plants drive their roots deeper, I don't believe. But we were talking about this just a little bit earlier in the show where I made the comment, if you want to make any crop more drought tolerant, you have to make sure it has the right nutrients out there. So I would be tissue testing. I'd be looking at, okay, what are my plants short on maybe do some foliar feeding or something it's late it's really really late so you know this is something to be thinking about in the future that's why we want to balance soil tests and have good fertility not just uh, ample fertility but balanced levels of fertility balancing your p and your zinc balancing the amount of sulfur you have in your nitrogen and things like that when you do that then you have a lot better chance to raise a healthy crop all through the season Thanks for the question, Kelly. Really appreciate that, and good luck. Hopefully you guys catch some rain really soon. Had a fun show talking about sunflowers. It's a very interesting crop and a lot of lot of techniques and things to watch for there that, that will benefit you knowing for the other broadleaf crops in your rotation. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.